been one of those weeks where, um, because of the change of everything, with some of us being ill and everything else, um, I've agreed to speak this evening as well for, for Ian, because he was willing to look after things last weekend. And so I had two, two um, messages that I got put together and uh, wasn't quite sure which way round to bring them for this morning and this evening. And uh, I made my mind up at home this morning, and then when we had that story, he <laughs> confirmed it for me. But I want to go to Mark's Gospel because um, when I spoke to Ian, was it a week last Friday, I think it might have been, when I first, or well, just after I'd just gone down with COVID anyway, <coughs> and we were discussing it, I don't know why, but my mind went to Mark chapter 14, and um, I began to read it, and there were some specific verses that really stuck out to me from this chapter. So that's where we're going to go to this morning. And then uh, this evening, because we meet again this evening at 6 o'clock, we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 24 and going to be looking at some of the thoughts surrounding the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, of course, on Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we have the prayer meeting. And then Friday, the Bible study. And Norman is sharing God's word on Friday. And then... Next Sunday morning, family service. Come on time and enjoy the family service. So we're going to go to Mark 14. And I know time is going on, but we're, you know, we're in God's house. I'm going to read God's word. And I'm going to read from verse 26. I'll leave out the first verses before that, 22 to 25, which is all about communion, the Lord's Supper. And then it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came out, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. When he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scripture be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. I want us to picture the scene. Jesus is with his disciples. He's enjoying a time of fellowship. They've just celebrated the Passover. <laughs> and during that celebration of the Passover, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, which we've just celebrated and which we honor on a weekly basis. And then it says there in the first verse that I read, and when they had sung a hymn. I love that. It says in the scripture that they sung a hymn together. Have you ever wondered what they sung? It wasn't in the redemption hymnal. It wasn't in making melody. It wasn't in mission praise. It was probably something from the Psalter or from the book of Isaiah or something like that. But they sang a hymn. I wonder if you've ever watched a TV program and the story commences and it goes on for a little while and then suddenly the scene changes and a script runs along the bottom of the screen that says 10 years earlier and the story goes back in time to set the scene for you well let's do that for a moment and pretend that across the screen as we visualize them singing the hymn together that the scene changes and the script comes along the bottom and says three years earlier. And we see Peter and we see Andrew. And they're down by the Sea of Galilee. We know that they're fishermen, the scripture tells us that. And they are throwing a net into the sea. And as they are throwing the net into the sea, this man called Jesus, he walks by and he sees them and he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture says immediately, there's no thinking about it and debating it or anything else, immediately they leave the nets, they leave the boats and they follow this man called Jesus. Then a little bit further on there's another couple of fishermen and these two are working with their father Zebedee it's not the one from the magic roundabout but their father's called Zebedee and they're called James and John and Jesus comes along and Peter and Andrew are already standing beside him following him and he says to them the same thing and the scripture records again that immediately they follow him and then the story continues. And a little later, this little group of five, they walk towards a tax collector. 
And you can imagine the fishermen thinking, well, we're going to cross the other side of the road. There's no chance that we're going to walk past the tax man. But Jesus heads straight for him. And his name is Matthew. And he says the same to Matthew as he's done to the other four. Follow me. And Matthew also immediately got up from the tax booth and followed Jesus. And it continues. Till one after the other, Jesus had collected the 12 men who were to be his followers, what we would call his disciples. And for three years, this group of men, they went everywhere with Jesus. Imagine all the things that they'd heard. Imagine all the things that they had seen. There was the sermon he gave from the mountain, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. There were those wonderful stories, the parables that he gave to illustrate spiritual things. And then he would see the blind men who began to see. They saw the dumb men who suddenly began to talk. They saw the deaf who suddenly began to hear. It was like nothing that had ever been witnessed in the whole of the area before. And then, of course, we mustn't forget that he even got dead people to come to life again. And somehow he'd managed to turn water into wine. He had caused storms to cease instantly. And they'd been with him. They had witnessed it all. What an experience. What an incredible three years it had been. For for three years, they'd been his constant companions. They had literally left everything to follow him. Suddenly, we come back to the scene with them singing the hymn together. We know now that at this point, that we're coming to the time when Jesus was about to be arrested. He was soon to go to Calvary to fulfill his mission, which was to be the savior of the world. But we discover that things were not going to go too well with the disciples. For already, while they were celebrating the Passover together, Jesus had warned them that one of the 12 was going to betray him. And in verse 27, he tells them that they would all fall away. And Peter, pointing at the others, he makes this bold statement, even though all they will fall away, I will not. To which Jesus replies, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter decides to argue with Jesus. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the others all agreed the same. And I want to pick up some thoughts from here on, from the examples that we see from the disciples that I believe that we can learn a lesson from, especially in these days in which we are living. And I'm not going to beat around the bush because I believe that we're going to face things and we're going to face things head on today for I truly believe that there has become an apathy in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the church in general today, towards the things of God, towards our commitment to Christ and our commitment towards truly following him. 
For in many areas of the Christian church today, the commitment towards following Jesus is at a very low level. Church, well, a church life, well, it happens if we can fit it in, rather than because it should be an essential aspect and an essential part of our experience and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, like the disciples, we have said yes to following Jesus. But they counted the cost and followed him. Well, some of them did. For you remember in John chapter 6, that after Jesus began to teach them what we would call perhaps some of the tough things about discipleship, it says that some of them from the wider circle of disciples that were following everywhere, that they decided to walk away. The cost was too high. And Jesus turned to the 12 that were closest to him, the ones that I've already mentioned, and he said to them, what about you? What are you going to do? And Peter replied, where else can we turn to? For you, you alone have the words of eternal life. And this morning I asked this question, How many of us have chosen to follow Jesus, regardless of how recent it might have been or how far back it may have been, we've made the decision to follow Jesus. But we need to consistently and continually to ask ourselves in regards to following the Lord Jesus Christ, how committed really are we to him? It's an important question. And it needs to be asked in the days in which we're living in. How committed are we to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we truly desirous to be genuine disciples? We'll count the cost. We'll take up our cross and we will daily follow him. Yes, we realize we've made that decision that he does have the words of eternal life. It cannot be found anywhere else. It cannot be found in anything else. So we need to ask the question, why do so many Christians still keep searching everywhere else for satisfaction, when true satisfaction, lasting satisfaction, and real satisfaction is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do many claim to follow Jesus and yet spend their time with so much of what is temporal and yet gives so little time towards discipleship and towards fellowship in the church. And apathy has become like a spiritual disease that is sweeping across so many who once said yes to Jesus. And I know that in the last two years, the pandemic hasn't helped the situation as many seem to be struggling to return to fellowship and to return to regular fellowship with other believers. But I thank God that we as a church here, we seem to have fared that storm reasonably well. I come back to my text verses. And like Peter, we all have good intentions, but so often, and this is a sad, sad thing, we have good intentions, but so often we fail to follow them through. And I wonder, and I speak to myself about how often 
We may have been in a powerful service where we have responded to a call of rededication and a call of recommitment. And yet once the buzz, for want of a better word, of that moment passes, we carry on as was. No different to what we were before. No difference, no change. I believe that perhaps we need to grasp more powerfully and understand more effectively the truth that Peter declared. Lord, where else or to who else can we go? Or where else would I want to go? For you have the words of eternal life. You truly are the only one who can satisfy it. And the twelve followed. And they followed well for three years. But in the final days, in the final hours, we learn something about them, things which I believe that we can learn from. Five things. Look at Judas. He turned out to be a fraud. Look at Peter, James and John. They fell asleep. Look at Peter. He failed. Look at the 12, or the 11, because Judas had gone. Look at the 11. It says they fled. And then a little bit later, look at Thomas. He was faithless. <clears throat> These were the 12 that followed Jesus. And yet one turned out to be a fraud. Three of them fell asleep. Peter failed. The other 11, the 11 they fled. Thomas was faithless. Let's look at Judas. He turned out to be a fraud. Judas in the end, seemed to be in it only for the money. That's all that mattered to him. And it is sad to say that in some wider influences of the church, there are many who are like Judas. The gospel isn't what really matters to them. It is all about the money. There is so much of what I'm going to call, using the word fraud, fraud, fraudulent activity taking place through those who promote the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. And I said, I will say it as I see it. And I want to warn each one of us to be careful, to be wise as to who we follow and who we watch and who we support, especially in regards to the God channel, as so many are seeking to sell the gospel. They promise healing if you send them some cash. They are fraudulent in their activity, for the gospel is not something that can be sold and purchased. It is offered freely without cost to us because Jesus has paid it all with his life plan and even this last week I watched a clip on the internet which really saddened my heart when we consider the situation that is going on in Ukraine at the moment where one of these preachers and I don't like to call them preachers one of these fraudulent preachers there I'm going to, as I say it as it is, one of these fraudulent preachers was taking advantage of the situation in Ukraine by telling those who watched him that the only safe way to invest today was to send money to his ministry to be invested in the service of God. And many will fall for it. Yes, investing into the kingdom of God is a wise choice but not into the ministries of those who will use it for their own purpose, for their own gain of having expensive homes, expensive cars and private jets. We need to be aware of those who claim to be doing this or that 
in the name of Jesus. Because all the time they are frauds. They are false prophets. They are false teachers seeking to satisfy their lust for more and more. And even Jesus said to many, he will say, who claim to do so much in his name, these are his words, depart from me. I never knew you. There are frauds. But then look at Peter, James and John. They fell asleep. They fell asleep. Firstly, we need to understand in regards to this, going back to the scripture that I read, that this was an extremely serious and urgent hour in the life of Jesus. They'd spent three years with him. And here he was faced with what he was faced. And, and he was about to pray the prayer that we know so well concerning the cup that he faced with. And he asked these three, Peter, James and John, to go a little further into the garden with him. And he asked them to pray while he moved a little further on. And three times, once is bad enough, twice, three times, he came back to them and he found them asleep. They should have been praying, but instead they were sleeping. And I can imagine Jesus saying to them, surely boys, can't you see the urgency of the hour? I need you. I needed your prayer support. And what were you doing? You were sleeping. And surely, as we apply it to today, can we not understand the urgency of the hour? Understand the urgency of the day in which we are found in? And yet the sad thing is that when it comes to prayer, so much of the church has fallen asleep. Fallen asleep. There are many churches who never ever have a prayer meeting. And in those churches that do have a prayer meeting, the prayer meeting has become the least attended of all of the meetings. And we come out with excuses, we find it boring, we don't like the prayer meeting, or whatever else, else we can put forward, while all the time, and I want us to remind us of this, the urgency of the hour, the urgency of the day in which we're living in, it demands prayer. It demands prayer. It requires us to be a praying people and a praying church. And while, using this analogy from Peter, James and John, while we are asleep, the devil is having a field day. And we wonder why. We wonder why. And this is why this is so important this morning. From Norman's story. Ask God. Night attack. And then it says the favorite pastime was Israelite bashing. And then it says King Saul with the enemy army were doing nothing. And you know, we could change that today. The favorite pastime of the world today is Christian bashing. Christian bashing. The world hates us. It hates you and it hates me. And we see the persecution that is going on in so many parts of the world. And God help us that it doesn't come here like it is in so many other nations. But the, the enemy is bashing the believers. He's getting us left, right and center. And so much of the church is doing nothing about it. Nothing about it. But thank God here we have a night attack. We have a prayer meeting. 
We're doing something about it. And the more of us that can come together to do the night prayer attack, we're going to know the protection of God. We're going to know the power of God. We're going to know his help as we seek to stand up. So let's not fall asleep. Let's be a praying people. Let's attack the enemy with our prayer as we come together. Then look at Peter. He failed. Not once, not twice, but three times. Three times seems to be quite important in this uh, narrative, doesn't it? Even after his promise, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. I have to readily admit that there have been many times when I have failed. There have been many times when, especially in the workplace, even though I tried to do my best, there have been many times when I should have stood up and been counted, but I hid. I didn't speak up. I didn't defend my saviour. And there are so many ways in which we can fail. It can be by the kind of lifestyle we follow or live. It could be hiding when we should have stood out. It could be when we put other things before our relationship with Jesus. And Peter denied knowing Jesus even after all he had seen over those three years. Scripture tells us that he fibbed. I don't know him. It tells us that he cursed. He did everything he possibly thought he could do to get away with not having to die with Jesus. The death which just a little bit earlier he has said he was willing to die with him. He wanted to save his skin as it were. That was more important to him. Instead of being the true light and testimony that he should have been with those that were all around him. And Peter failed miserably. And may we, in this day and age in which we're living in, may we never be found in this sorrowful position, hiding who we are and what we are in Christ to those around us. We should be proud to be his disciples. Then look at the eleven. They fled, exactly as Jesus said they would. When the going got tough, those who should have stuck with Jesus got going. They fled. I said already, we as a church today in the UK don't really know yet what it is to be found in a tough situation for being a follower of Jesus. Yes, we may get ridiculed. We may sometimes be laughed at. We may sometimes get verbal abuse. But we still have the freedom in this nation to be followers of Jesus. But the future might not be so. We don't know what's around the corner. And the day will come when we may get questioned. We may get challenged. We may face the onslaught of the enemy like never before. We may even have to face prison or worse for being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is this, will we stand tall or will we flee? Will we flee? I've already spoken of the urgency of the hour and it is urgent. And if we fail in the other areas that I've already mentioned, can I suggest that there is a greater chance we will fail when the tougher times come because we will have not spent the time we should have been spending in the place where God by his spirit will equip us and empower us to be able to fight the good fight of the faith and to stand firm. 
Let me look at Thomas. A little later, he was faithless. See, the things that Jesus had spoken about had happened. He had died. He had been buried. And he had risen from the dead. And yet Thomas was faithless. We know what he said. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Imagine saying that after spending three years with Jesus. I will never believe. See, he'd seen all the amazing things that Jesus had done. He had seen the power of life being given to a dead body. Why should Jesus fail him now? Why would Jesus not do what he said he would do? And why would what he say would happen not happen? Yet Thomas doubted. He failed in his faith to believe. Sadly, there are many, and we all know them, who have followed the call to follow Jesus. They have proven his love. They've proven his faithfulness in their lives so many ways. They will have even testified about it. And yet something happens that causes their faith to falter. They start to stumble and they fall and their faith hits rock bottom. And instead of trusting as they once did, they want something to happen to prove again the power, power of the one that they had previously trusted in. They would say, unless something spectacular happens, I will not believe. And they become faithless. But thank God that Jesus came and revealed himself again to Thomas. And perhaps you're here today and you can put on a good front, because we do. We can put on a good front. But your faith is failing, or you may even have failed. And it's going to take something spectacular to get you going again. Don't wait for the spectacular to happen. It is your faith to believe that counts. Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet will believe. And Hebrews 11, 6, it's without faith it is impossible to please God. It's not about the spectacular. It's about faith. It's about trust. And it's about believing. It's a case of trusting in what Jesus has already done for us to believe on him and to be saved. So I must conclude, and I do so by reminding us all today that even though the disciples fell asleep, fled, failed, became faithless, the good news is that scripture tells us that Jesus restored them. The only one that had no hope and no second chance was the fraudulent one. The fraudulent one. He put on a false identity as a follower of Jesus, whereas the reality was he lived for himself. And in John's Gospel, in the case he hasn't picked up the words beginning with F, and in John's Gospel, we read that there was a friar tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples. As they were there, they were considering their options. What should we do? Should we go back to being fishermen? Should I go back and be a tax collector? And all the rest of it, Jesus turned up and he cooked them a meal of fish and bread. And this is the good news. Fellowship was restored. 
fellowship was restored. And just a few weeks later, they were back in the upper room, the very same place where they had sung the hymn together. Yeah. And the power of the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them and filled them. And they went out as men who were emboldened like never before and became the founders of the church, which Jesus said he would build. My prayer is, as I've shared what I've shared this morning, and I'm speaking to my own heart, as I continually say, whenever I bring a word, it's always to, I speak in into my own heart, my own life as well. And it is that we may be challenged today and encouraged that even though we may not be what we should be, we may not be where we should be, we may have been affected in some of the ways I have mentioned this morning. We can be restored this morning. We can recommit ourselves to the purpose and to the will of God. So that not only individually, but together as church, we can accomplish great things for God in this day in which we are found. For the hour is urgent. May we not fall asleep. May we remain alert. May we not flee, but may we stand firm. May we not fail, but let's prevail. May we not be faithless, but let's be faithful. For he who has called us is faithful towards us. Amen.